Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. everyone uh you are tuned in again to an episode of the three questions and uh i am uh very happy to talk to someone who i i don't know very well but we've our paths have crossed numerous times and we sure do uh, know a bunch of people in common but i have always uh, very much uh enjoyed and respected his work and his dashing good looks frankly um <laughs> i'm i'm here with chris parnell uh hello there of of all your favorite comedy things you've been i mean you are sort of like a ubiquitous kind of presence in so many different comedic things over the years yeah well i mean certainly for people of a certain age i think i mean yeah i'm sure there are tons of young people younger folk who have no idea who i am and, <laughs> o- and older folk too but um, well that's what you're here for is to really because this podcast is hugely pos- popular with gen z Awesome. I don't know. I'm not even <laughs> I'm not even quite sure what Gen Z is. When people talk about Gen Z versus millennials versus I don't even know what anything is anymore. You know what? My niece broke it down for me, but I uh I think she's Gen Z, maybe. She's like sixteen. No, she, yeah, she's sixteen now. So I yeah. think she's Gen Z. And then my son, who is seven, well, seven, and I've got another son who's four. They are Gen Alpha, I think, is oh, the wow. next one. I think. Wow. But don't hold me to that. They should name them, uh, af- like, uh, pick women's names alphabetically and after, like, hurricanes, you know? <laughs> Gener- you know like, Generation Brenda. Yeah, Gen Alma. Generation <laughs> Alma. Generation, yeah, Brenda. That'd be good. Well, um, where uh, where are you? Where am I speaking to you today? Are you you're at home? I am at my house in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, specifically the address, please. No. Well. <laughs> uh, how have you been? How's the uh, how's your COVID been? I mean, that's kind of seems to be you know the first house. How is your pandemic? Seems like the first question everyone gets to. Um, you know, it's, it was a lot better than it was for a lot of people. Um, I'm thankful to say we, we got our older son into an outdoor school called everlasting education. And, uh, it was just him and I think 10 or 11 other kids. And they just met outdoors in the wilderness in different locations and did schoolwork and hiked and learned about nature. And yeah, it was amazing. So he didn't have to be stuck in front of a, an iPad or a computer all day and it. Uh, it was just a godsend. Was that was that in reaction to COVID, or was it just, uh, you know, a lucky happenstance? Well, it it was something that that the founder of it, this guy Michael Galano, who had worked at this place called BioCitizen, which is also still around, but that's more that's camps. My son yeah. is going to BioCitizen camp next week, um, but he had wanted to start this kind of outdoor school, and COVID sort of just provided the ideal opportunity for it. Um, so it's it was great for him and it kept him outside and, you know, not on a screen. Uh, and then, you know, and then we all managed to stay healthy, thankfully. And, yeah, uh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things, you know, L.A. Uh, it is a, it can be a very silly place, but there are things like that option, you know, educational options that are actually, you know, what that you couldn't have in kansas city like there's probably no. no sort of like out you know outdoorsy you know bio challenge schools in kansas city i mean nothing against kansas city sorry folks i just picked that out of my hat <laughs> i mean certainly during the winter it would be harder in a lot of places you know? <laughs> yes it would but you can pull it off in la yeah how old is he 
He's seven. My older oh, son's seven. seven. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and can he? Will he do this throughout his he, schooling? They. He was the first class, and they are going to also have a second grade class, which he is going to start in the fall. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, that's great. What happens if it rains? Do they all uh, just rush rush to the van. No, they've got, you know, they if if weather's in the forecast, they meet at a place that has some outdoor covered space usually and they just all wear their rain gear. Wow. Yeah. That's that's it seems crazy. It seems like it also might be fly by night. <laughs> like <laughs> like you're going to show up one day and it'll be a sting. <laughs> they've actually been having your child do light manufacturing. Uh, <laughs> Well, now you are a Southerner. Is that not true? That is true. That uh, is true. Where are, you, where are you from again? I am from Memphis, Tennessee, and then also uh, from a suburb of Memphis called Germantown, Tennessee. Germantown, that's right. And um, I think there's, isn't that where the big golf course is that they play the? Southwind is there, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I I played in a couple of Memphis Open Pro-Ams. I don't know why. Those are the only ones I ever played in, but I got to play golf, professional golf, with professional golfers in Memphis. So I got to sweat uh, <laughs> in front of some pros. Yeah, it gets yeah, warm. It, it sure does. Uh-huh. Um, well, what was your, what was your, uh, were you part of a big household? Uh, you, were you an no. only child? No, it was, it was, it was me and my sister, mom and dad. My sister's yeah. two years younger than me. And, uh, my parents are still there in Memphis and Cindy, my parents are still there in Germantown. My sister's in Memphis with her husband and daughter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, that's, uh, it was not a, not a big family. We started out in Memphis and then moved to Germantown when I was about 13. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good place to grow up. Yeah. And was it, was it pretty, just pretty normal? I mean, folks had jobs and everybody worked and. Yeah, it was pretty normal, you know, uh, if, at least it felt normal in my experience, um, yeah. you know, I grew up in a neighborhood where we could ride our bikes around on the street. And, you know, when I was young and not have to be worried, parents didn't have to be worried about kids getting abducted and horrific things like that. Um, yeah, it was, you know, it was fairly idyllic, I guess. You know? Yeah. Did, well, were you were you happy there? I mean, because I always I, I find that so many people that I talk to because most of the people that I talk to are. Well, most, I mean, it's mostly comedians that end up being on the show and we try and sort of spread it around. But um, do you feel like there was a dissatisfaction in you to like get out of there or like, you know? Well, I, when I got into like seventh grade, I wanted to do the school plays. So I started doing that. And when I got into ninth grade, we was around with the time we moved and we, I went to go from going to to a private Southern Baptist school to a public school, which was one of the best things that could have happened to me Um, because the public school, among many other things, they had this incredible theater program and uh, a TV studio that was just launching at the time. This was Germantown High School. And so I got very into the theater department there and uh, did speech tournaments and all that kind of stuff and did the plays and, and was encouraged by my, uh, teacher, mentor, friend, Frank Bluestein. to, you know, he said, Hey, you could, you know, you could do this for real if you really wanted to. And, uh, and so I, I knew that to do, to do it for real, I probably needed to get out of town. Yeah. 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 And w- do you think it was, were you okay with that? Or was that a daunting prospect? No, it wasn't really. I mean, I went to college in Winston-Salem, North Carolina school of the arts, which yeah. was not daunting at all. You know, it was a, yeah country town kind of i mean a city but you know right not, right not new york yeah yeah um were your parents supportive i mean do they i mean it's nice that you have a teacher telling you because I, I it was the same thing for me it wasn't so much that i was or i mean i don't know if it's the same thing but i wasn't answering in our so much of an artistic calling i was seeing if I could make a living doing the thing that I liked and that I seemed to have an aptitude for. It wasn't, right. you know, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't Van Gogh. I was, <laughs> you know, I was thinking like, I was thinking like, well, even if I don't become an actor, I could do props or something, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, they were so supportive. Yeah. 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 Well, my dad was, uh, my dad was a disc jockey. 
um, for many years there in Memphis and then went on to have his own recording studio uh, with another uh, cohort. And and so that was, I would do commercials for him, sometimes voiceover stuff as a kid. And so he, he did feel a certain responsibility to warn me of the difficulties of the business yeah. Um, from what he knew from people who'd gone out to Hollywood and, you know, come back. And, but once he, I think once he and my mom realized how serious I was about it, they were, they were very supportive. Yeah. Well, are your, fo- your folks are kind of religious, right? You said you had gone to a Southern Baptist school. Yeah. 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 I grew up Southern Baptist and, uh, and, you know, and a, a believer and all of that and, uh, slowly moved away from that through high school and college and to, yeah where I'm at now, which is, uh, atheism. Um, but my parents are, are, are religious. Um, uh, my dad has dementia pretty far along, so he's Mm -hmm. not too much of anything anymore, sadly, but, but yeah, my mom still like watches the church services on TV and things. Oh, wow. And so they didn't, you didn't get a lot of pushback from them and, you know, when you decided to lose your faith. Uh, you know, I, it was it was strange. I when I sort of when it all came together for me in terms of figuring out what I believed and and didn't believe, I had this pressing need to call them and explain it all to them, which I did. <laughs> yeah, and I said, I you know I don't believe uh, that Jesus was the Son of God. I think he's a great teacher, and uh, there's a lot to learn from from him. But uh, I don't you know I don't believe in all of that anymore. And and they were like, okay, all right, well, okay. You know, they, I'm sure it was, it was a bit of a gut punch on some level, but yeah. they accepted it pretty well. Yeah. Or seemed was, to. Was there, was there kind of like a loaded, uh, theologically loaded guilt laid on you for behavior or was it more sort of just, did they sort of skip over that part of, of Southern Baptist kind of? Well, I sort of put it on myself. I mean, I, you know. I really, I really was a believer. I mean, I really believed in God and, and being born again and all of that. And, uh, and so I prayed for forgiveness quite frequently. If I would do something that I thought in the eyes of God was a sin, you know, however minor, um, I was, I was always sort of, you know, in touch with the big man I felt. And, yeah. and as, you know, as I got older, I just like, even in high school, I, I just couldn't put it all together. I couldn't make it make sense. Also, this idea that my faith was the one true faith and my idea of God was the one right idea of God. And yeah, um, it just, it just never meshed. It, it couldn't mesh. And um, I read and, you know, sort of looked around and, and tried to figure out what made sense. And, and then the idea of, of Jesus as a, as a teacher, you know, a rabbi um, and not the, reborn son of God, yeah. you know, um, was kind of the, the cornerstone of, of the Christian faith. And when you sure. pull that out, it, it, t- it all crumbles, but it, but everything suddenly made sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to crumble. Lots of people pick and choose, you know, they, they, they <laughs> no, only believe the parts that are convenient for them to believe. That's, that's very true. Um, well, how was, I mean, going to college, was it uh, tough to get out of the house? Were you happy to be out of the house? You know, I'm, I was happy. I was happy. I wasn't, I, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. It was a pretty tame college experience. I'd have to say, I mean, for me anyway, I was, you know, kind of a, I was still, I was still, you know, a a believer and, you know, not too much of a crazy kid. I didn't drink and, uh, but you know, I made some very wonderful friends there. A couple of my, you know, best friends I made there and still see them. And, um, it was, you know, it was, it was good for, for me, for what I wanted to do. It was a conservatory kind of education. Yeah. Um, I got a BFA bachelor of fine arts, so I don't, I can't claim to have a particularly rounded full, uh, liberal arts education, but it, it was good for what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you being, you know, you pretty, pretty straight down the middle, cishet male, Going into a theater department, were you off it? Was it always like, you're so straight that you're straight? You know, like, <laughs> you know, that like, because when you combine it with, you know, Southern Baptist upbringing and still being a believer, I, I mean, were there people that were trying to corrupt you <laughs> at every turn in the, you know, cause theater, you know, I mean, that's for me when I was in high school, I grew up in a small town, but when I would go to, 
you know, there'd be like camps for speech team or things. And that was where like all the out gay kids were and all the like, you know, like the really big theater kid personalities. Sure, were, sure. You know, and uh, and I were, were, did there were there people like that in Germantown that. There were some, there were. Yeah. And I remember in particular having a conversation, not with somebody in the theater department, but with somebody in my art class who, uh, you know, we were talking, he was talking about gay issues and things. And I was, you know, I was talking to him about it normally and open. And he's like, are you gay? I was like, no, but you know, and for whatever reason, it was just not something that ever like made me feel weird or put off. And I also, I, yeah. it never made sense to me that in the eyes of God, that could be wrong, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, going to th- going and then going away to college. Um, it, I don't know. It was just it was the, the best thing was just seeing people who were out and free and and able to be themselves and and you know having a great time and loving it. And, yeah. Now in in college, were you what were you thinking? You'd be an actor? Were you thinking you'd be a, a teacher? To, you know? No, I definitely wanted to be an actor. Yeah. Um, and you know, I kind of thought I. Figured it would go a little more of the dramatic way, but it, it sort of sort of discovered in college that comedy was something that I was stronger at. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, but yeah, no, I always I always hoped to be able to make a, a living at it somehow. Yeah. It took a long, long time. But what it, when when you started, was it you noticing you were better at comedy or was it other people noticing you were better at comedy? Well, in my sophomore year was when we first started doing little performances. It was just all classes freshman year. And then sophomore year, you do these sort of abbreviated versions of different plays. And we did this restoration play called Man of Mode or Sir Fopling Flutter. And I got cast as Sir Fopling Flutter. Um, and I just took to it. And it just, it was a very silly part. And, you know, the, the other students were the only ones who saw it the, like in the different grades and they just responded so well. And then the Dean of the school uh, at the time, Malcolm Morrison, you know, called me in and gave me the the nod of like, you really did a fine job with that. And his, his professorial British accent. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So, so, um, yeah. so that were you happy that that turn, came that way or was it? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't like, you don't still, you don't feel cheated that you're not, you know, in tear jerker parts or, you know, well, it's funny, you know, I'm just, I'm in the, on a break from working on this movie in Atlanta called senior year. And, uh, it's, I play rebel Wilson's father, um, both her as a younger woman and then as her current age. Yeah. And it's, there is some of that, those kind of scenes in there, you know, more emotional stuff. And, uh, so I, I feel like I do get to do that. You know, I haven't yeah. traditionally gotten to do that a lot, but it's it's there enough that I, you know, I, I hope I hope that I can hold my own doing that stuff, too. You know, yeah. Why do you, why do you think it is uh, that you responded more to comedy than you did to drama? Well, you know, I you don't know this, but. I was always, you know, a class clown kind of kid. I always wanted uh-huh. to make people laugh. And so that just came naturally. My older son is the same way. Well, actually, my younger son is too. But they, uh, I, you know, I, I like to get attention and try to make other kids laugh and got in trouble a lot for it. <laughs> Went to the principal's office many, many times, many paddlings. Yeah. Um, oh, the yeah. paddlings. Yeah. It was, yeah. was it like that for you? Yeah, we hit, yeah, there were paddlings. I don't I don't think I ever got a paddling, but there was definitely uh, a paddle that hung behind the vice principal's desk and the it seemed like the the role like the the job description of vice principal was like, you know, torturer, like the <laughs> muscle, you know. Um but like you'd go in and I think he was a football coach and you sit down and there was like some kind of Something that I, whether somebody made in shop class or something, some paddle that had holes drilled in it. So there was less wind resistance. And I'm, you know, and it probably had some name, you know, like had like justice written on the handle or something like that. Um, But yeah, but no, I was, I was a just incurable smart ass. Just always, I mean. Teachers just would get furious with me because I just couldn't <laughs> shut up. And I couldn't, you know, just that, just 
I mean, now I know how to be quiet. But but in those days, like it would just be like they'd say, you know, they'd I'd I'd, I'd you'd be already like three exchanges into the I'm in trouble. And then they'd say something and that just something really would good would occur to me as, as a good response. And I, I just had to spit it out. And then it was like, all right, I'll, I'll go down. I'll go down to the office. But other than that, you know, but it's funny because I, that was that was the sort of beginning and end of my rebellion, especially like when I was young, like I yeah. didn't like, the, I did not want to get in trouble. The notion of getting in trouble, which whatever that meant, like I look back on it and I think, what did I, what was I, did I think someone was going to like cut off a limb? Like what, what was I so terrified of? <laughs> um, and I, I, but so I didn't do, you know, kids that break into the school at night. And I was like, no way. Oh, no, no. I am not, uh, you know, or, or climb power lines just to kind of, you know, climb power, you know, the power tower, the towers, yeah, the power yeah. lines are on. No, no, no. Well, you uh, probably also just had a fair amount of common sense, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, but there definitely, yeah, there was the common sense, but there was also just the fear of getting in trouble. Yeah. And it, yeah. just, and I don't, like I say, I don't even know what that was. I just, I don't know whether it was like, you know, tumultuous home life just meant like, I can't, I can't take any more. I can't take any more stress and conflict out in the world. So I better keep my shit together. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie, and fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my loves are growing? So when you get out of college, you uh, you I I saw that you went to Houston as like an apprenticeship, right? Yeah, they had this. uh, They may still have it. Something called the Sharp Young Company. Sharp, not like oh, they're so good at what they do, but named after somebody named Sharp. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, it was like we understudied roles on the main stage at the Alley Theater in Houston there, and. and which was cool and fun. And then we also did our own plays, uh, which we sort of toured around to the elementary schools and high schools and things. And uh, it was, you know, it was a good sort of segue out of college, but it also ended up making me kind of disenchanted with the whole theater acting world because I was expecting, hoping to get asked to stay on and sort of be a member of the repertory, even though there wasn't officially one, but they had a a core of actors there in Houston they like to use. And yeah. um, one of my other, one of my peers in the young company sort of did get asked to be around and be in the next production. And I was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm at least as good as he is. And, yeah, yeah. But he was much more, he was much more social. He played the game a lot better. And so, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I sort of took a break from it for a bit. Yeah. And did you go back to Memphis then? I did. I went back and taught high school for a year. Oh, wow. Uh, in Germantown, under under Mr. Bluestein, my my teacher, and I taught acting and introduction to film and video classes that I had taken because um, I just he he had had another student do it a few years before. And as long as you have a major in what it is you're going to teach, you can do that for one year in Tennessee. And then if you're going to do it further than that, you have to get like accredited or whatever you. Yeah, your you education get. degree. Yeah, right. Right. But um, um, well, how how was. First of all. Was that hard when you made this decision 
because that that Houston, that the step of going to Houston must have been now's the beginning of me, uh, you know, Chris Parnell, professional actor. And then to kind of have it peter out. Was that rough? You know, it was. um, But I don't think I don't think at that point, I think somewhere in me, I knew that I wasn't like giving up on it entirely. I just, it, it, I was picturing myself going into the regional theater world, you know, and yeah, performing yeah. in regional theaters around the country. And when that happened at the alley and it, the alley was great. I have, you know, I had a great experience there overall. Yeah. Um, I just sort of took that away and I was like, huh, I have to, I need to figure things out here. And, yeah. uh, and you just kind of went and was going back home difficult. Did you live at home? Did you live with your parents again? I did. I did. How how was that? Um, you know what? It was it was it was pretty fine actually. It was oh, not. What's what's wrong with you people? <laughs> I had to do a version of that after college, and it was awful. Was it? Yeah. Once I was out for two years, and then I transferred to a commuter school in Chicago and moved back in, and it was just. It was a bummer. It was a bummer to like to have kind of spread my adult wings and then to kind of not that any, you know, it was an oppressive atmosphere, but it was just it was it was just again my family back, you know, with my younger brother and sister, my older brother, and all of us back under the same house and no one being particularly happy about being there. So well that's yeah. nice. I mean, is your was your sister there too, or was she already out of the house too? No, she was already out. She yeah, was already yeah. out. Um and yeah, I mean, I don't listen, I'm not gonna pretend like it was the happiest time of my life, you know. Yeah, I mean yeah. I, uh, but I, I was able to be involved with the theater and television programs at the high school yeah. uh, in the same way that I'd been there, but overseeing things now. And I, I loved all of that. The regular yeah. teaching, I was not cut out for at all. I did in not what, enjoy that. In what way? Impatient or? I just wasn't, I didn't have the confidence to be an authority figure. Oh, uh, I see. I didn't, I wasn't ready to be Mr. Parnell at the age of 24 or whatever I was, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I just, I had a hard time maintaining discipline in the class and, uh, yeah, I just wasn't, I, I, I don't, I think I'm too selfish in some ways to be a good teacher. You know, I just, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't care enough, but yeah, you know, yeah, you have to have a flair. Like there is, there definitely are people who there are teachers in my family and they, it, it's just in them to, yeah. you know, to talk to a group of kids and to, to sort of think about things from their perspective and how they're going to hear things best. And yeah, I don't, I don't think I could, I just like, I, that's why I said impatience. I just don't think I'd be patient enough. Yeah. Uh, when I, you know, I, I mean, my kids are older now, but just being in school with kids, I was always like, how do you do this all day long with all these kids? Yeah. You know, it's a lot. It is a lot. So what happens to, to sort of keep you going? Like, when do you bust out of Germantown? <laughs> well, I realized I, you know, I did not enjoy the teaching, so I wasn't going to continue that. And I thought, look, going to the alley in Houston to try to make a go of it doesn't really count as making a full go of it. So I've like, I've got to either go to New York or LA and, uh, and LA just sort of pulled me more largely because I had people out here that I knew from high school. Okay. And, uh, and it in, just seemed in show less, business or doing other things in show business, not acting, but like in the production end of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, a lot less intimidating than New York too, which I love New York, but you know, it was easier to, a lot easier to move to LA. Yes. Yeah. No, it, it is. Um, especially when you're coming from somewhere else, there's a lot of LA that is like somewhere else. You know, there's exactly. a lot of LA that's like, Oh, this could be, this could be Schaumburg, Illinois, or this could be, you know, the suburbs of St. Louis, or this could be the suburbs of Atlanta. Uh, Cause it's just a giant suburb, but New York, there's nowhere like New York city. I mean, it's, no. it's, it's very much itself and you either like it or you don't. Um, so you came out to LA and just with a, you know, step off the bus, cardboard suitcase, <laughs> straw well, hat. I moved out with one of my good buddies from college, Matthew. Um, and so, you know, we got a, a place together and that, and that, you know, that also made it a lot easier too. Yeah. How did but, you know uh, where to live? How did you know, you know, cause that's always, it's such a sprawling place. 
uh, I think we just thought, oh, we should live in Hollywood. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're out here to be in the biz. And, and that's uh, where it's happening. Yeah, we should we should live in Hollywood. So we did. We lived on El Centro, just north of Santa Monica. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and and some some other people that I met when I got here um, gave me some really good advice. And they said, uh, you should take class at the Groundlings and you should do student films. You should take workshops. You should just do everything you can just yeah. get into it. And I, and I did. And uh, you know, the Groundlings was what sort of led to everything else. Right. Was that your first experience doing improv and sketch? Um sketch yes i would say improv a little little tiny bit at college mm-hmm. um but uh yeah mostly that but coming from you know this drama school background i felt like i was so far ahead of the majority of, of people taking classes there because a lot of them had never even had stage experience right and so i felt comfortable on a stage and i i don't know that that part of it never had to get in my way you know yeah yeah that's funny because I have almost no sort of technical acting knowledge and it was the confidence of years of improv that made me that made me feel like well I can just fake it. You know? Right. I mean, yeah. you know, like my first job on a, my first movie role, I got a speaking role in a cable movie and I had no idea what was going on. I <laughs> I just showed up and like just basically waited till I was pointed in the direction I was supposed to be and just, you know, because they, you know, that's not even in I went to film school and I did take some theater classes, but nobody ever said when you show up on a movie set, this is what the first thing they'll do to you. And then you'll do this, you know, and then in the actual shooting, I, I mean, I've said this on before, but like they did the the they shot. It was with actually with Bo Bridges and Swoozy Kurtz was my scene with the two oh, of wow. them. And they shot their singles first, you know, their side of it. And then they're like, coming around. And I just was like, what is that? What is coming around? What is that? Oh, wait. Oh, now they're going to shoot me. Okay, I see. Yes, coming around. Of course. You know. I know. Uh, well, even at, even at, you know, at drama school, they don't teach you that either. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. Might, they might now, but back then I had no instruction whatsoever about television or film. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there, there was no film acting in the in the conservatory at all. It was just strictly stage. At that time, they now yeah, have a yeah. film school there that's quite established, and so I think there's some crossover. Overlap. Yeah, 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 yeah. But not at, not not when I was there. Yeah, was that difficult? I mean, just as as just like as a side note here, during, as we go down the biographical uh, memory lane, but is, was that difficult? Like when you started to work in film, were you? Do you feel like you were being stagey? Uh I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I hadn't worked in theater professionally hardly at all, you know, uh-huh. just the alley and that was, didn't really count. Um, yeah. so I had, I'd never sort of developed that side of my performance and the stuff we did at school, you know, I, it was, there was a, enough of an interest, uh, focus on being, know, believable and real and naturalistic and all that. It wasn't all about projection. And even though we had boys classes and all of that, but I don't, I don't think it messed me up that way. At least if it did, I wasn't aware of it. You mm-hmm. know? And did you take to the ground links right away? Was that kind of, that was the place where you felt like, okay, this is my feet are on the ground and I'm getting some traction here. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I really, I, I took to it very quickly and, and part of, like I said, part of it was being comfortable in front of other people and all of that jazz. And, and, uh, and yeah, I had some great teachers and, uh, I, you know, made some of my best friends there at the ground links too, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, I found a lot of confidence, uh, from doing those classes and starting to perform and mm-hmm. that, that made a big difference. At that point, did you have a concrete goal? Did you have a, like an imaginary picture of, you know, the, your, dream of dreams coming true? I don't know that I did. I, it was just more the, the idea of, of making a a good living as an actor, Mm -hmm. you know, um, somewhere along the way, you know, when I started to get little guest star parts and sitcoms, um, I thought, man, this would be great to have a regular gig on a sitcom. And, and honestly, still, that's one of my ideals, you know? Yeah. They're pretty goddamn sweet. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
They are. They are. Um, and what what did you do for a living while you were? I mean, yeah, you, you don't make any money at the Groundlings, really, do no, you? Yeah, no, no. Yeah. You you do if you teach, but I wasn't in that place yeah. at all. Um, I worked at FAO Shores Toy Store in the Beverly. Oh Center. wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, and made almost nothing. <laughs> Very little money. So I kind of lived off my credit cards. Um, and, uh, you know, to maintain a certain, not very high, but a certain standard of living so that I could order pizza when I wanted to. Yeah. 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 Wow. FAO Schwartz, was that any fun or was it just a, just another retail job? No, it was fun. I, you know, I, I happened to know about the Beverly Center from a, a visit previously to LA. And so I just thought, oh, I'll go up to the Beverly Center and see what's, you know, if I can find any jobs up there. I mean, I was very naive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd never waited tables, so I had no experience with that and wasn't going to lie about it. And so I went up there and uh, I saw FAO Schwarz. I was like, oh, I knew it from New York. And I thought, oh, that that, that could be a fun place to work. And I like toys. I like toys. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it, it, you know, if you're going to work in retail, it was it was a pretty good place to work. I would think it's better than, you know, folding pants at the Gap or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what did you start? Was it commercial work that started? Like what made you be able to go into FAO Schwartz and say goodbye? See ya. Uh well, you know what? What actually happened was things started to get really bad. With uh, we we got an awful manager who came on board, and uh, he was, you know, he was just a taskmaster, and he wouldn't lift a finger to do any work himself. And previously, I had great managers, and it just yeah. everybody was soured to this guy. And uh, and you know, and I'd done a little commercial work. I'd had a little work, but not enough to live on. And so I went to the theater that night. I had a rehearsal or whatever for either the Sunday show or the main show. And said, uh, hey, if anybody knows of anything, I'm looking for a job because I've, I've got to quit this. And Deanna Oliver, who was directing the show at the time, said, well, you can, you know, I need an assistant if you want to come work for me. I was like, absolutely. And so that's what I did for until I got on SNL. Oh, wow. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> being an assistant can be great or it can be awful, depending completely on the person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, she's Deanna's great. So it was it was. It was very nice. Wow, that's great. Yeah. And so, Ed, when does SNL happen after, like, how long after you've been in L.A. does SNL happen? Well, I moved to L.A. at the very beginning of 92, um, literally like New Year's Eve of 91 going into 92. And I I got onto SNL in 98. Oh, okay. That's when I started. Yeah. And w did you have any, any regular gigs, any regular showbiz gigs in between? I I had, you know, I'd done a number of guest star parts on, you know, the popular sort of sitcoms at the time. And I had what was just started to become a recurring part on this show called Conrad Bloom. I had done the pilot and they liked what I did as a guest star. They brought me back for the next episode or something. And, you know, the, there was reason to believe they were going to keep having me on. But in between the time of the pilot and that first episode, I ended up booking SNL. So, oh, wow. Yeah. What was Conrad Bloom? I... Uh, Mark Feuerstein was the lead. Um, I, you know, I can't remember too much more than that. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it, you know, no, uh, it, well, it obviously was a big hit. Uh, and you, you really missed out. <laughs> you I think been, it was on a season or season and a half. You, know? you could be the guy from Conrad Bloom, but that's not Conrad Bloom, though. He, you know, it's the other guy. <laughs> Um, well, how, how was, I mean, did, uh, Lauren come see you? Did you go to New York? Did, you know, was it just sort of the, <laughs> you know, the, the seasonal call of groundlings that, you know, that happened where they just sort of came and plucked people? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it started, it hadn't happened in a long time. I mean, you know, Lorraine Newman was from the groundlings and, and Phil Hartman was from the groundlings and other people here and there over the years. But there was a big dry period where nobody from the Growlings was on SNL. Mm. And it, it restarted with Will Ferrell, Sherry O'Terry, and Chris Kattan, and then yeah. on the gas tire. And so, you know, I remember going back to the to the back office between scenes to watch those guys do their sketches on the show. And even their first show was very exciting, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so then, you know, I think from then on, there was maybe more of the, the talent scouting happening at the Groundlings and... They they asked for tape for my agent at one point, which was sent in, and nothing happened from it. 
Um, and I thought, oh, well, that was my SNL shot, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then later on, it happened again, and I, which none of which I didn't know about any of it. I didn't know anybody was there watching. I didn't know that they'd asked for tape. And so I only knew when my agent said, hey, they want to fly to New York to audition, um, which was the, kind of the best way for it to happen. You know, yeah. it's so much better to be ignorant for me anyway of all that stuff. So. I believe I think so, too. Yeah. 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 Better to not know that you're being tested. Um, so what was that? I mean. Is it the standard? I mean, I've never done it. I, but Do you never audition for SNL? I never auditioned for SNL just because uh, there was always Conan, you know. And, uh, sure, sure. Um, you know, and it was almost like they were in a different class in the same high school. You know, I mean, it was, which was fun. You know, it was fun to have you guys, because you started in 98 and I was only on Conan for another two years after that. But it always was fun to be able to kind of, we were on, Nine. Six, well, we, oh, were, on nine. we were on nine. Our offices were on nine. On oh, no. okay. Yeah, but so we would, but I, we could go down the back stairs and come in the back door to eight H because right. it was it was always open. And on Thursdays when they'd rehearse music, we could just literally come down a stairwell. You know that like where the original cast used to smoke smoke weed and do cocaine. <laughs> you know, and and go in and watch whatever you know watch paul mccartney rehearse and stuff it was it was pretty special pretty amazing time to well i mean it's always just that building just to be able to have worked oh, yeah. in that building is is pretty amazing it is life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches but there's only one mccrispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my loves are growing? Did so? Did you have to do uh, like the impersonation kind of thing? Were, were they gonna? Were they looking to you heavily for that? Well, they asked for three characters and three impressions, and uh, thankfully, knowing Sherry Oteri a little bit, I was able to talk to her, and I think I talked to Anna as well. Um, and they sort of gave me some feedback and said, "Look." You know, she's like, I did this, you know, I had like two impressions and I did four characters or whatever. I was like, oh, OK, OK. Yeah. So I ended up taking one of the things I had sort of done better at at the Groundlings scene wise was writing monologues. And so I was able to take some of those characters and cut them down and make them, you know, into audition material. And then I I had discovered somewhere along the way that I could do Brokaw kind of. And uh, so I did him. And then there was this MTV VJ at the time named Jesse that I decided to try to do that. Jimmy actually ended up doing the the impression on the show, but huh. uh, so I'm not sure that that was very good. But but the scenes, the the little scenelets I did, the, seemed to seem to go over well. You so. think that was what what got you the job? Is those little scenes? Yeah, the, yeah. the characters and the craziness of it. One of them was just a dance piece, but uh, yeah, I, I think they really responded well to that. So. And did any of those make it into the air or onto the air? They, you know, they uh, made it to dress rehearsal. Some of them made it to dress rehearsal a few yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. Never made it to air. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Well, what was that like to that whirlwind of, yes, we want you? Do you fly back to L.A. and pack everything up? And Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, figure out a place to live. Uh, I went and looked for an apartment. Um and didn't find anything I liked. Um, How soon do you know? Do you go back to LA and then find out or? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. But I mean, they, even after my audition, they had asked me to sort of hang out a little bit and talk with everybody and meet Lauren and talk to some of the writers and like Mike Shoemaker and, and, you know, and the other guy Higgins. And, uh, so I had a sense that like things had gone well. And Fred Wolf, who was the outgoing head writer at that time was like, 
really kind and complimentary just about my audition. And so I had a good feeling about it, but you know, you never know. So it was, it was probably about a month at least until I really knew for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, what, what is, I mean, cause everyone has a different perspective on what the atmosphere is like, uh, on what the sort of, you know, whether it's a, cause for years it was a bit of a, you know, it seemed like isolated, at least this is, you know, from the scuttlebutt, isolated right. factions sort of working against each other in secret, you know, was there some of that or did you find it more to be because it it seems like then it also has had its periods of, you know, just a fun, loving, frolicky all for one kind of place. Right. Um, and it can sort of alternate from one to the other. I for me and, and perhaps it was naivete, but I I felt like it was more the latter. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, there's the, there is the degree to which everybody sort of groups off and, and writes together. Um, but. Most people, when it came time for the table read on Wednesday, laughed. And yeah. there was only it was only later on when I was on the show that I became aware of like certain writers who deliberately wouldn't laugh at other people's sketches because they wanted to make sure their pieces got on. And mm-hmm. um, but the cast, by and large, were were pretty good laughers. You know, yeah. supportive of each other. It felt like that's you know? good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. <laughs> that's the flip side of the Hollywood version of that, which is writers that laugh at everything oh, all the time. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. And the fourth run through and they're still <laughs> guffawing at the jokes that they wrote. I know. I feel I so know. bad for them. I know, but I, I, to do that. I personally feel like <laughs> that's some way the, the industry could be reformed. No, because, you're right. You know, when I was working on sitcoms, I would have writers say like, you're uh you're like a really tough laugh. And I'm like, no, not really. But I mean, I just, I'm not going to laugh at something that I've heard five times. Right. right. Uh, just because, I mean. Well, I, SNL was like that too. You know I mean? Yeah. The, that was a hard room. But if yeah. you make people laugh, it was generally, it was a genuine response, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, which is a think, good feeling. I think, yeah. Because I think also there, there was, well, I mean, Conan culture was, had, you know, elements in its DNA of, of SNL culture from right. Robert Smigel and Conan, you know, sure. from them sort of, you know, and Jeff Ross, our executive producer, worked for Broadway Video, had produced Kids in the Hall. So it's all kind of from the Lorne camp. Right. Um, but, we, you know, it's we weren't breaking off into into factions. It was especially right at the beginning. It was just so we felt so pressured that we all were kind of in it together. Um, sure. but, uh, it was, it was, I, I forget the point where I brought, why I was bringing it up. Um, but, uh, but <laughs> the it's laughing, the laughing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the laughing. Yeah. It's yeah. the laughing. That's what it was because yeah, it, it was the same thing. There was no fake laughs at Conan. Yeah. And, and then I came up to LA and there's so much fake laughing and it just, I just feel like it can't be good. It can't. I know. You know, it just, it's, it's, you can't, you know, like if a, if a gear isn't a gear, all the grease in the world isn't going to make its cogs fit into something else. And if something's not funny, just laughing at it doesn't make it funny. I know. I feel like, I guess my take on that is that the writers, producers, um, they, they have a certain, if, if they're good, they have a skill that allows them to, over acknowledge a joke that they think is funny. Yeah. Um, and if they, if they don't think it's funny, they don't laugh as much. Uh, and obviously it's worked because you've got so many multicam shows that have worked on that model over the, the decades. Yeah. Um, it's also one of the reasons why I feel a little more comfortable performing in single camera shows because there isn't that, that yes. laughter, you yes. know, it's, it's written a different way. It's shot a different way. And yeah. You know. Yeah, I don't multi cameras. Uh, I mean, they're they're good for many things, and people like them for many reasons. But I don't prefer them because you are handing over the keys to the timing to a group of people that many of them are just there to see a show, right. not your show, and you have to ta- all your timing is based on waiting for people to stop laughing <laughs> or right. or laughing in the first place. So. Well, also, and I just found it, it makes such a difference, the degree to which they know who you are. 
Yes. And if, if they're a fan, like if you're a regular on the show, then you get a very different response. Then you, you've got to be brilliant as the guest star to yes, actually yes. get a response from the audience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here's your big entrance. Hey, yeah. we don't know that guy. Who's that guy? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, um, what was it like for you were on for eight years on SNL? I mean, what was the experience like generally? And and also like. As, as your personal life goes, like, did you get married during that time? I mean, did you start a family during that time or? No, no, that was, I was, I was a single guy and I, you know, I had girlfriends that I would date for a period of time. Um, and with the show, I mean, I started out with not a lot of self-confidence. I was very, I was pretty intimidated by it all. I felt comfortable I felt comfortable performing and taking scripts that other people had written and, and bringing those to life as best I could. And uh, it, the writing for me was a challenge. And uh, it wasn't until I sort of, you know, found some write other writers on the show who I could team up with and we could, you know, flesh out an idea that I might have together that they had for me. Yeah. And, it, you know, as, as I got to about my third season, I started to feel more confident and then I got fired. I didn't my contract didn't get renewed. So that sort of pulled the rug out from under me and I was fairly devastated, but um, kept hearing that I might be coming back. Lauren didn't shut the door completely. And finally, sure enough, in my fourth season, I came back on the 12th or 13th episode in and then got brought back for five, six, seven and eight. What um, the hell happened there, do you think? I, I did, never you, know. did you ever find out or I've know? never found out. There was a, there was a word that there were one of the NBC executives that wasn't a fan of me. Um that was the closest to an answer that I ever got. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, and Lauren to his credit when he brought me back said uh, you know, I made a mistake and uh which is not something you hear Lauren say very often. So that right, was very right. that was very gratifying. You know? Yeah, sure. But it still sure. took a while to get my, you know, start to try to get my confidence back and everything. I bet, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and especially, I mean, it's not like you can exactly come in and be, <laughs> you know, you've been battered. You know, it's like you've been sort of, you know, you've really been rejected and then reaccepted. And the reacceptance is never as good as the first acceptance, you know. Well, you know, the thing that made a difference was was the outpouring of support from the cast and the writers. You know, I, I think everybody was genuinely surprised by it. And so people were going to bat for me. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. And, and there was enough of that going on that I heard about. And, and I was like, OK, OK. I wasn't the only one who was blindsided by this. And, right. Right. You know. And uh, it, it, it's an indelicate question, and I'm sure it's. it's showbiz knowledge but i'll ask it uh did you leave on your own accord or after the eighth season were no you know what at the at the end of that time i i was ready to go but i said look this is a great gig i'm not going to walk away from it if they'll have me for more seasons i'll stay but yeah. they didn't and you know it was me and horatio and rachel dratch that that got let go that that summer. And so I felt like, Oh, I'm in, I'm in pretty great company. You, you know? are. Yeah. Those so. are very talented people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. all three of you are rock solid. So it's, I don't, I mean, that kind of the calculus that goes into that decision on that show is it, I, I don't know how it's made, you know? Um, well, it's one of the things that I feel like they, Lauren has maybe gotten wiser about because I mean, it's got a huge cast, but I feel like he's keeping people around for longer now, yes, you know, yes. um, obviously Keenan, you know, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. wisely so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you, when you, do you go back to LA immediately after, after that you'd like, you know, was New I, York just there because of, were you just in New York because of SNL? Well, I was initially, but I, I really, you know, I grew to love it. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, I'd always loved New York, but to living there and, and after I got rehired, I bought a condo and I sold that after a couple of years, bought a bigger place in Soho, which I loved. And I was going to stay there because I, I loved it. But, you know, there was like a table read going on in LA for this comedy. And there was this going on in LA for this that you kind of needed to be around for. And so yeah. I was just like, I think, I think I got to go back to LA, which was okay too, because I love LA. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Did you find, was there like a, because I found this when I left the Conan show the first time, it seemed like everybody had to talk to me or get me in something. And then it 
drops down to normal. You know, like it's like like the demand for Andy Richter got shot up really high and then it calmed down in a few months to be just like regular Andy Richter demand. And it was something I'd seen like from friends that had been correspondents on The Daily Show and then not. And it was like, oh, we got to get Rob Corddry. You know, we got it. Right. You know, all these different people. Uh, was it that? Did you get that sense after SNL? I, you know, I don't think I left SNL as big enough of a star um, to kind of have that response. I mean, yeah. I, it definitely opened doors for me. And I think uh, as time went on, things got better. But also what helped me a lot, honestly, was doing 30 Rock, you know. Yeah. Because Tina and Robert brought me on for that, you know, recurring character. But I would, I was actually flying back to New York then to to do Dr. Spichemin. And I think that sort of brought me on people's radar in a way even that, that SNL maybe had in a, in a more prominent way, mm-hmm. which I think helped a lot. That that character also, too, is kind of uh, an essence of so many of your characters, which is like <laughs> a completely insane straight person. You know, like, the, <laughs> like you know, and I don't mean straight, you know, uh, straight no, versus gay, but I just mean like like the straight man in a sketch. But this guy, you, you know, is is completely nuts. Um <laughs> And is that, do you think that's fair? Do you think that that's something that, you know? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I, and I think, you know, and Tina and Robert wrote the part with me in mind, apparently, yeah. you know, yeah. having seen what I'd done on the show. And, and yeah, it was just, it's amazing to have a part like that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, now, now, uh, wh- what have you got? You you say you're, you're working on this movie. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, d- tell me again what it was. It's called Senior Year. Um, it, it's a Paramount Wilson, Netflix, yeah, yeah, yeah um, venture, and uh, and yeah, it's got a it's got a really good cast. Mary Holland, Sam Richardson um, is in it, and uh, and Gallery Rice, who is this amazing young actor, uh, and that's it's been great. It's been so much fun, and I go back for another ten days of work and mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks, and then you know it's a lot of the animated stuff, um, Rick and Morty, and uh, Archer, yeah. And, I do a recurring thing on Family Guy and some, you know, just various things like that, and the occasional guest star on a, you know, on a TV show. Mm-hmm. Do you like Do you like that kind of freelance life where you're sort of, you know, doing lots of different things as opposed to just one consuming thing? I do. I do like it as long as as they're coming along with enough frequency. You yes. Know? Yes. Yes. Um, but having said that, I would. I would prefer even more to have a great sitcom gig, yeah, you know, that was yeah. around for forever. You know? Yeah. That's what children do to you. That children, <laughs> yeah, children yeah. say, I don't care. I remember Alec Baldwin being interviewed once and saying, you know, how he was a high minded artist and he would only take certain roles. And then like the day after his child was born, he was like, Get me a Jello pudding pop commercial. <laughs> like immediately after the kid shows up, you're like, "Oh my god, I need money! Somebody, get me some right. cash." Yeah, you want some stability. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what what are you uh, what are you looking forward to? Like, what if things you know, if you can choose what what your future is going to be? What what do you think it would be? Well, you know, I ho- hopefully the. You know, the voiceover gig will, I mean, I, I know Rick and Morty is going to keep going for a while and, uh, and I hope Archer is as well. Um, and, you know, more of that. And then eventually landing on a on a sitcom would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I love getting to do the occasional movie thing. Um, it's it's only hard because it's in Atlanta and being away from the family. Yeah, it's also it also makes it easier because I can get as much sleep as I need to and I have to worry about being up with the kids and all that. Um, but it's, it's hard to be away for a long stretch, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if I could kind of keep doing what I'm doing and add a, a series regular on a sitcom to that. that yeah. Would be, yeah. That yeah. would be great. That would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Is there any, is there any kind of, uh, any kind of role that you're not getting that you wish you were doing any kind of work that you like, you know, like we, we talked a little bit about drama or anything or, or are you, you know, cause like I always, like for me, it's always like I want to. I really want to play somebody evil, and they always. I'm always, you know, the word that I've heard forever, and it's a lovely word to hear, is likable. Right. So I, I, I really want to play a dick. Like I really want to, you know, play yeah. like somebody kind of evil. And I, you know, I've gotten to a couple of times, but not to the extent that I'd really like to 
see how evil I could be because it just right. it so much fun, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I that I there is that, uh, but I almost feel like I would want it to be in the context of a of an evil villain in a comedy. Yeah, because. I, I got an audition amazingly for Homeland one time, mm-hmm. a Showtime show, and it was this extensive monologue, and I worked on it really hard, and I, and I felt like I, I did quite well at it when I did it in the room, but it also made me realize, like, Jesus, this is, this is hardcore. This is serious, heavy shit, and there's a lot to memorize, and it's, it's just, and so, and then I sort of became more aware of, like, the procedural shows and things, and, like, I was like, oh my God, I don't, I hope if I get the gig, I'll, I'll take it for sure. But yeah, yeah. I'm so happy that I'm in comedy and I can, I can go on a set where people are trying to make each other laugh and it's yeah, not this yeah. heavy. You're going to die, Mr. Johnson, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I've worked on very little drama, but some dramas and some TV dramas as a guest spot. And yeah, it's a different atmosphere. It's like, yeah. You, I came in like, so we're ready to have fun, right? And everyone was like, no, what the fuck are you talking about? Fun? No, no. And not, not what is, goes on here. Yeah, this is, we're doing legal drama, sir. Um, well, uh, do, you, are, do you plan on, do you, do you see yourself living in LA? Like, you know, for for the, the, the long term? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think unless I hit some level of success where I can be where I want to be, but I, I love LA. Um, yeah. And, and I like what it has to offer. Um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll probably mostly be here if not always, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's nice yeah. to be content, you know, it, it is. It um, is. well, what do you, uh, you, you know, you, you, uh, we're a teacher, a literal teacher for a minute. And I'm sure that, you know, as many people who, you know, are established and are known, they get asked kind of like, you know, what's the point of this? What What's your advice? What do you, you know, what can you share with other people? I think that they could learn from, from your path. <sighs> Not a lot, Andy. Not a lot at all. All right. Well, um, thanks for listening, folks. <laughs> um. I don't know. You know, it's that it's it's that fine line of of doing the thing that you love and and want to do, um, and then also uh, being honest with yourself about what your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, for me, I don't even know if this is the question you're asking, but I got enough sort of um, confirmation along the way. It was a, you know it was a, quite a road. I mean, it took a while, but I was getting enough sort of there were enough flags, signposts along the way that said, yeah, yeah, you can, you can do this. You, there's a yeah. reason for you to keep at it. You know, yeah. people um, you trust telling you you're good. Yeah. 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 And so that's, that kind of kept me going. And then, you know, once, once I got on SNL, that was a big confirmation, obviously. And then I've been able to make a living from just doing acting ever since. So, yeah. um, I, I don't know, you know, it's like, you gotta, you gotta figure out what you really want and what's important to you. And, um, and, and try to do the thing that's going to make you the happiest while also, you know, supporting yourself and you yeah, know, yeah. Be, you got to be practical. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, that all sounds very reasonable. I don't know why people are against you. <laughs> Wait, I what? mean, so many people, you know, no, nothing, uh, nothing. What? No, uh, uh, <laughs> this Andy? is actually, this is half of a point counterpoint. <laughs> this is the pro Chris Parnell part. And then there's like, it's a, oh my God, there are, people were lined up to do the anti. <laughs> Virtually so many people, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Uh, oh, okay. okay. All right. All right. All right. Can't, can't wait to hear it. Probably, probably really elucidating. I probably need a, a little bit of humbling here. So that's, uh, I guess that's good. All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me and, uh, you know, and, and telling your story. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I wish you continued success and, uh, you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe we'll both get hired on that sitcom. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. It would, would be. be Although I, I am a lot of trouble. <laughs> uh, I'm like a, a diva, like yeah. diva trouble. Oh, well, it's just that like, if, if you can ingest it or shoot it or snort it, it's in me. <laughs> oh, that kind of You trouble. name it. Yeah. Uh, you know, you kind of have that written all over you. So <laughs> I think everybody knows that going into yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for having me, man. That oh, fun, sure. Man. Thank yeah, you so much. Appreciate it.
and uh, and and we will get back at you next time, listeners. Thank you very much for listening to the three questions. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my loves are growing? This has been... A Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.